Hi, Stephanie here. I am an entrepreneur, lobbyist, wife, mother, book lover, and political junkie. I think gender equality is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And I love to learn, especially from other women. So I started Women Don't Do That, a bi-weekly podcast and blog to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. Kate Harrison is the vice chair and a partner at Sumas Strategies Canada, one of the country's leading public affairs firms. She has worked in and around politics for 15 years and in government relations for the last 12. Kate leads the firm's Queen's Park practice. She's a regular political commentator on television and radio, speaking on politics and current affairs. She has a weekly national affairs column for a paper in Southwestern Ontario, and has also written for other national publications. She's a volunteer, and when not working, she has her hands full with her toddler, John, and playful Black Labrador Retriever, Brick. Welcome, Kate. Good to be here. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for having me on. And a baby on the way, I should mention. So it's ah, gonna be congratulations! <laughs> I didn't know that. Very full house, very soon. I'm uh, about five or six weeks away from from oh. due day. So it's uh, it's coming up fast. It's coming up. Wow! Fast. Yes, the baby. Yeah, that's a wow. That's very exciting during COVID. Yeah, is I think that's a bit of a theme. No, I <laughs> seem to know. A lot yes, so <laughs> it's so true. So many of my friends are announcing pregnancies. Even some that thought they were done having children and yes. you know their youngest are like five and I'm like so was is this because there was nothing else to do yeah I think you know chaos breeds chaos right so 2020 yeah. could be described as a very chaotic time and just like add another log to the fire at this absolutely point. it's um I got a puppy and people were like, why, like, why would you do that uh you know I I work with three jobs and and I'm like well my child is having <laughs> some mental health struggles in COVID. And she asked for a puppy. And, you know, as a parent, you will do anything to try and make that better. And so I bought the puppy. Like, yep. this, yep. this is what's happening. Yep. Um, so it is what it is. I thought we should maybe just briefly mention you and I know each other just through politics. We both are lobbyists and work in that field. And, and we've met uh, through that experience. So indeed. Yeah, we do know each other. Sometimes I interview people and the first time I meet them is when we go live for the interview. Right. Very, yeah, so, uh, very formal. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I wanted to ask you first, how are you doing? Uh, good as far as, you know, it can be considered right now. I really miss my colleagues. Um, we at, at SUMA have a pretty tight-knit office. Uh, we're about 15, 16 people. Uh, we often behave a little bit more like a family than a firm of public affairs professionals. Um, you know, everybody came to my wedding. My business partner was my MC. Like it's, it's a very tight knit group, uh, and zoom and, and Microsoft teams meetings can only, you know, fill that gap so much. So, uh, we've had a number of new people also join the team that I've never met in person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, that's challenging as a, as a business partner um, to, to onboard in this environment. Uh, but we're, we're doing our best, like everybody is, is trying to do. And I'm lucky I've got a, a supportive partner and, uh, you know, good childcare arrangements. So we're able to keep a pretty consistent way of life. My 
sister-in-law just had a baby this morning and it, it hurts to know ah. that we won't be able to visit them for perhaps several months. Right. Um, but that is yes. a small, small sacrifice compared to what so many other people are going through. So yeah, it's, it's going as well as, as you can in a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything in particular that you have done like strategies that have helped you cope with the experience? Uh, trying to get outside as, as much as possible. Right. We've, we've got a dog, as you mentioned, that likes to be walked a few times a day. Uh, so, so getting out with him, getting out with, uh, with our toddler is, is good. Uh, and really it, you know, I'm sure this experience exists for a lot of people in business, but your days turn into your nights if you're not careful and your weekdays turn into your weekends. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really have been trying, uh, I, I would describe myself probably as a workaholic. Um, mm-hmm. Me but- too. <laughs> <laughs> we need therapy. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I really do try like on Saturdays to just take a break, you know, focus on, focus on family um, and kind of what, what needs to happen because so much of working, you don't have the separation of office and workplace like, like you no. used to. And then lobbying is very much a, a client servicing business. So I would never describe it as a nine to five anyway, no, no. but um, I, I do find that not even just for us, but our clients are taking a bit of time too to be with, with their families. And I, I would say a silver lining of this whole thing has been a lot more empathy and understanding mm, for people's yes. personal circumstances and that's yes. colleagues between one another that's clients and and consultants between one another um everybody knows that this is a really difficult time and you you don't get the full picture from a zoom meeting of what could be happening in somebody's life and i, I do think that there has been a bit more understanding and empathy um that's mm-hmm. one another and hopefully that sticks around yeah, I have actually been, it's been interesting, like if, if you start a Zoom call with a client or a government stakeholder and ask them how you're, they're doing, they're often taken aback, like they appreciate being asked, but also yeah. they're often really honest, uh, which is something probably before COVID you would have never heard. Yeah, agreed. And you kind of get into the the business end of things right away and, and pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but um, there's a real, we're living through a real human experience right now yes with one another and um again I, I really hope that 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 persists you know not the yes, zoom calls all the time uh <laughs> definitely not that but just you know a, a people being more accepting of one another's uh circumstances and, and situations because for a lot of people this has been really difficult to manage mm-hmm. absolutely i think that's a really important point what motivates you to live your best life <laughs> I would say, um, well, there's a few, I, I think there's like a, a really a professionally and personally, um, I, I really like to win and help other people win. Um, mm. and I, that makes me probably very competitive. Like I would not suggest playing trivial pursuit with me. Uh, <laughs> well, actually you'd probably win trivial pursuit, but uh, so maybe that's a bad example, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty competitive person. And I, I do really like uh, in this business in lobbying, helping people achieve their goals. It sounds kind of hokey, uh, but I, it's not meant to be, um, you know, everything that I've, I've done in my career prior to government relations as well as I, I worked in the member of parliament's office in the constituency, 
that was very much about helping people access yeah. funding, right? Or resolve something simple like a, um, you know, not a birth certificate because that's MPP, but a passport inquiry, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. little things like that. And it, it has always been very rewarding to me to help other people in groups and organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely what motivates me uh, professionally and, and personally as well. I think that, you know, policy and decision-making is really a collaborative, pro- ought to be a collaborative yes. process and not something <clears throat> that is handled exclusively by 338 uh, mainly men, but men and women in Ottawa. So I, I really do think that um, the work that uh, lobbyists do, the work that civil society does, uh, the work that nonprofits do is really important to creating a good uh, public policy ecosystem and a political ecosystem. Uh, that's how the best decisions get made. And so, you know, I think if I can help those different parts of society come together and understand one another better, then we just arrive at better decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an important point. It's so interesting hearing you speak already. There's so many times I'm like, ah, oh, same, same, same. <laughs> and it makes me think about, you know, if there was another lobbyist, if, if they would be saying the same thing. The competitive nature is something that I can really uh, recognize in myself and um, also makes me wonder about like you and I are both successful in our careers, but also fairly young. And I imagine that that has something to do with it. I think it does for me. I, I think that that's exactly right. Um, you're not typically, very few people get into politics uh, for money. <laughs> Um, and, and fewer still, I would say, get involved in, uh, you know, politics as a, as a career path that they have set for themselves. Right. Right. Um, I think that it is a few things it's, and especially for young people, you are given a ton of responsibility very, very quickly. Now that, um, that spans the gamut. Uh, you know, as a political staffer, you go from picking up coffee in the morning for your boss or answering a phone call at five o'clock in the morning or, you know, God knows what time at night to providing a briefing to a cabinet minister about a really important issue. And uh, for young people, that's a a huge driver is is having that level of responsibility. And I think in politics, it it doesn't get much more competitive than that other than team sport. Right. Yes. Um, And, there's a lot of parallels in my view. If, if you kind of came from a team sport background, I can see you having a, a, an innate interest in politics because it is mm-hmm. helping out helping your teammates and something you really want to see and achieve happen win. Uh, and so I think that that's a lot of the draw for, for young people in particular. It certainly was for me. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I was more in individual sports, which also I think drives that competitive nature. For sure. Um, Although I did do some team, I guess I was a cheerleader too, but I don't always like to admit that publicly. (laughs) I think there's nothing wrong with that. Let's not forget, Cheer was released just last year and it's a great Netflix watch. I'm not paid by them. Oh yeah, that's true. I I do follow them all on Instagram (laughs) still and I'm like, man, how do you move? I wish I could move my body that way. My God. it's so interesting when I watch them now. I'm like, I used to be able to do that and oh, I cannot yeah. do Sad any of that mortality oh, anymore. Yeah, yeah. I know. <clears throat> I know my kids are quickly surpassing um, <laughs> my flexibility and stuff. And yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I also recognized um, or related to what you said about helping other people. That's something that 
I would probably say too, as Kate and I have shared, like we both work in lobbying. So I think that's really fun to have this conversation with you today. Can you talk to us a bit, and you've alluded to some of it, about your career path? Like, how did you get to the job that you have today at Zoom and Strategies? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'll try to not give the full life story. Yeah, here, you can give us I, the brief version. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've always had an interest in um, the news and uh, law and politics. And I did not come from a family that, that was particularly interested in any of those things. Uh, it's just something that I... I always had gravitated towards because I, I thought it was interesting. And um, I was in my senior year of high school and I had some credits uh, that I needed to complete uh, that were optional. And so I thought, oh, I'll do a co-op. Uh, and that co-op uh, led me to my member of parliament's office. Uh, his name is Barry DeBolin uh, and he was the MP for Halliburton Corth Lakes Brock. I'm from Omimi, I'm from, uh, from the Corth Lakes. So uh, I did a stint there and thought this was pretty interesting. And right around that time as well, uh, Barry DeVolin had, had organized a trip to Ottawa for um, students who were interested in, in politics and current events. So I joined that trip. Part of that trip was going to Summa Strategies and learning a ah. bit about uh, lobbying and government affairs. Uh, and I came home from that trip and told my parents, I want to work in that boardroom. Like it's, we, we are so fortunate that we have a, a really lovely uh, unobstructed view of Parliament Hill. Uh, the building itself is falling apart, but the boardroom view is is beautiful. Uh, and I I remember really being drawn to the mix of business and politics together. Yep. Um, so I, I I said I one day I'd like to work in that in that boardroom. So I had, was a late applicant to Ottawa U. Um, I was planning on going to Queens before that and pursuing more of a, a career in law at that time, as with so many things, things change. Um, and then I ended up coming to Ottawa, working for, for Barry in the Ottawa office. I did uh, a couple of co-op stints with the Department of National Defense, which was uh, quite mm. interesting on their recruitment team uh, for civilian employees, uh, very much in the communication side of things, got involved with my local campus club, got involved with the Ontario PC Youth Association, et cetera. So I uh, had a foot in the door on campaigns and then uh, had to really <laughs> be persistent uh, and bug uh, the, the SUMA team for, for a foot in the door. Yeah. It was a much smaller company back then. Um, and I, I, I really just wanted 10 to 15 hours at the front desk just to, you know, kind of wet my beak and uh, what lobbying and government affairs was all about. And after uh, about a year and a half of pushing, I finally was able to, to get that front desk position uh, and that was in 2009. Um, and since then, I was able to somehow convince everybody that I was worth keeping around. And uh, <laughs> now, now I've, I've been a business partner there since uh, 2018. So uh, that is that I've held every job that SUMA has. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, which has been really, really cool to kind of come up through and see how each different level works and yeah. you know, be part of shaping the business for the future. So that's, that's how I got where I am. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love how you said just about that persistence about the front desk, right? And, and I think when people are looking for career advice, like those are the types of things that make the difference is that persistence and I, I don't think everybody has that view of I want to be at that SUMA table, but I love totally. that you did. And, and I think 
people don't often realize that you actually can craft like your career or like, um, yeah, it, that's, that's quite amazing. Yeah. And I would not, um, you know, I, I don't think one of the things that's great about politics and lobbying is that there is no perfect path and there, there shouldn't be because, you know, I think it takes a diversity of views and perspectives and backgrounds and experiences again, to really have solid policy and advocacy and uh, if everybody came out with a poli-sci degree or a comms degree and went into this, you'd have a lot of pretty cookie cutter approaches to things, right? So yep. I acknowledge that, that my path was um, typical in terms of the background. You know, I was a tiny Tory and, uh, you know, I was obsessed with campaigns. But I would also say that like an atypical road to government relations is not invaluable. Like I, I think that it actually... Yes. Uh, is a field that is open to many, many people and ought to be open to many, many people and backgrounds and experiences. So um, I'm just a, an atypical in the sense that I've been in the same place for 12 years uh, or since I was, you know, 21 years old, mm-hmm. which is not common. Um, no, no. Yeah. I switch jobs like every three years. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I, that's normal though, right? Yeah. I, I, no, I'm, it is. A, I'm a freak in that way. So that's okay um, to each their own. It's, um, yeah, I, I like what you said there. When you think about some of the qualities that make you strong in that role, the, you need all kinds of different people, like you said. So if you're, you don't have to be all of these things, but being one of them, like you could be a strong writer, a strong researcher, you could have a legal background, like lawyers are really valuable, yeah. strong networking capabilities, and creative graphic yep. design right like yep. I mean so much out, of, out of the box now, thinkers yeah like yep. so much of what we do now is um is digital pardon me and visual that um it, having a background in an acumen even if it's just in some like free software like canva or something right um can really help mm-hmm. advance your your career in government relations and lobbying um, a transition I've seen that I think has been very good for the industry has been mm-hmm. that it's, it is less about uh, deals made in back rooms with your friends. Relationships are important and I, I wouldn't suggest otherwise, but being able to tell a good story yeah. can go a long way and having that backed up by data and public opinion uh, and the right approach to advocacy can yeah. really get things done in a way that, you know, calling your, your buddies, um, it just, it, you're not going to get the same results. Yes. No, I love that. And I, I, I think it's so true. I know even from my own experience for the last couple of years, I have expanded past just doing GR and in some ways I'm, I'm now coming back to focus on that, but using some of those experiences to inform what I'm doing, like I like to break boundaries. I'd like to come at things from different ways and be really creative about it. It's something that I can bring maybe differently than other people but like you said I think it's having those different experiences that that make um the end product better so government relations lobbying advocacy it gets all called different things but at the end of the day it's all the same thing lobbying would be the word that's probably most associated with it a lot of people have no idea what that means I, I always find it funny like at parties and stuff you know people ask me what I do and I tell them (laughs) <laughs> They're usually like, that's really cool, but they have no idea what to ask as follow-up questions because it's just kind of this black hole. So yeah. can you tell me 
how do you describe it to people when somebody says, what do you do? I usually start by saying it's not like, thank you for smoking. Um, because yeah. that is most people's <laughs> contemporary understanding of, of what lobbying is. I also think there's misconceptions about lobbying, right? Like what, yeah. um, can I just talk, pause you there, Kate? I yeah. also think there's a big difference in Canadian lobbying. Like we have listeners in 50 different countries. So Kate and I are talking specifically to our experience in Correct. Canada, your experience in different country could be very different. Sorry, go ahead. Absolutely. No, that's a, that's a, a great disclaimer um, because it is a very different experience, even just south of the border. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would describe uh, lobbying as working to advance public policy uh, and legislative solutions on behalf of businesses, organizations, and nonprofits. So I would style uh, what I do as, as being a connector uh, between two worlds, the world of politics and the world of business, um, or in some cases, you know, nonprofits and charities. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean? That could mean a bunch of different things. It could mean trying to advance a particular policy or legislative solution. That could mean um, trying to access government funding for, mm-hmm. for a client. That could also mean just raising awareness about what a particular organization or group is trying to do in Canada and how the government can support that. And conversely, how the company can support whatever the government of the day is, is trying to get done. Um, so I, I've been lucky in my time at SUMA to have worked on really a multitude of files and, uh, and experiences. Some of those have been, uh, you know, direct investments uh, in, in clients and organizations, which is always really rewarding to see. Others are smaller, um, you know, like a change to a building code or a regulation that will allow uh, a business to operate um, in, in a more efficient way. So uh, it can be quite nerdy and quite granular. Um, but at the end of the day, it does come back to helping that group or client achieve sometimes small incremental success, but still success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to explain it. I, I like to sometimes also give some examples, right? So, you know, an organization that represents cancer might lobby against having tanning beds because they're bad for your health. Mm -hmm. Like that's a very basic example. Um, Another thing I like to share is that government's, don't have time to talk to everybody. So for example, when you look at associations, so that's when, you know, all the doctors have an association that works on their behalf or all the banks have an organization that work on their behalf and they share with the government, like what's going on with their industry or things that are needed. And the government literally does not have the time to go and talk to all the banks. So it's a really important role. And the other thing I would say is that lobbying exists like everywhere, right? Like you think of any big company, uh, Visa, the banks, McDonald's, like they all have lobbyists. Mm -hmm. And even if you're a smaller organization or business, you may be part of an association. And so in many cases, there is some kind of lobbying being done for your industry, which is very interesting to think about. Yeah, a lot of it so if you're a big company, um, you know, you're probably motivated by the bottom line and yeah. government is often viewed as a hindrance or a barrier to getting mm-hmm. things done. And sometimes we get called to help fix problems, right? The government has come out with a policy that is going to create a problem for a client. 
uh, and the client would like to see that policy reversed or changed or amended in, in some way. Mm-hmm. More sophisticated organizations will understand that government is actually not as much of a barrier as it can be an, an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they also have good stories they want to tell. It is mm-hmm. difficult to do that without working with uh, the corporate world or, um, you know, nonprofits or organizations. So they very much have a similar interest in terms of trying to uh, communicate to Canadians why what they're doing will impact their day-to-day life. Um, and a lot of that comes down to how it impacts the private sector, public sector, um, and, and the charitable sector. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that it too often gets boiled down to, um, you know, we've, our, poli- our company will lose X amount of dollars if, if this policy comes into place. And those are important problems that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Ideally, what you've done in advance of that is really build a relationship and yeah. communicated to government in advance um, <laughs> what you're what you're trying to do in Canada mm-hmm. and how you can work together because it certainly makes it a lot easier to fix problems when you have that pre-existing relationship rather than constantly coming to their door with another issue, another issue. Yeah, absolutely. You've already talked about some of them. Are there any other misconceptions that you'd like to share? Uh, I, I mean, a few of the big ones are that you need, in my view, are that you need to have a public policy background or a political background to get into this. And I, I would really say that that's not the case. I've worked with colleagues that have backgrounds in, in history and geology. And certainly if you are working in-house, because that is different, again, from the consultant lobbying experience, I'm a consultant lobbyist, but um, having a subject matter expertise can actually be quite helpful yep. when you're trying to advance particularly regulatory and legislative solutions. Yep. Um, so, so I would say, don't think that this is about following um, a particular political uh, path to get there. Um, you know, another misconception, it gets better. It gets better all the time, but that politics is, is not accessible and is, uh, is still a bit of an old boys club. It is mm-hmm. getting, I, again, I do, I do see more of an effort being made to uh, hire young women, be inclusive, uh, et cetera. Certainly, there's tons of impressive women in the uh, government relations and lobbying space in Canada and serving on the Hill as, as staff. Yeah. Um, so we, we have come a long way. Um, we're still very much behind the times when it comes to like ethnic and diversity uh, changes in the sector. Um, and, and that needs to improve as well. So, uh, it's a misconception in the sense that it's, it's again, a bunch of uh, old white guys in a back room calling the shots because things have changed, but, uh, it it has been incremental change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. Uh, a true depiction of, of that experience, because like you said, there, there still are things that need to change, but it has improved. I think it also your experience will differ depending on your work experience. You know, people will work in politics in different offices, depending on the boss or the leader that can make a really big difference. And like, even in the consultant shop or or where you are, I think there's some that are probably more, more further along in terms of their. There's a different mentality in a school and, and something I, you know, this is not a assume a sales pitch, of course, but, um, (laughs) One thing I really liked about the the company that I joined uh, was just that there was a real entrepreneurial 
spirit. I think it's harder to get that in larger organizations that have yeah. more of a pre-established way of doing things. Uh, yeah. We have very much like a small, well, we are, we, we have a very much a small business mentality. Um, and that means you have to kind of be willing to take some risks and be creative. And uh, I think that that helps with our approach to advocacy, but as, as a, um, a young professional and a young woman coming into this, having people around the table that wouldn't be dismissive of ideas just because they were coming from, you know, then a 22 year old or a 23 year old uh, made the experience so, so great. So if it's something you're looking at getting into, I would say it's, it's really important to find the right team and people that are going to help um, advance, advance your ideas and listen to you and and hear you out um, and Mm -hmm. not dismiss you just because of, of your age. Yeah, no, I think that's very valid. I wanted, I was going to ask you about it later, but might as well talk about it now about um, even though there has been movement, it still is a male dominated industry. And what are some of the barriers that women face? Um, I think one that I would say is a challenge, but not insurmountable is the work-life balance aspect, Mm -hmm. which I don't know. I even am like, is work-life balance a thing? (laughs) But it's a thing that people talk about. Um, But I think, in our field, it it isn't a thing. And I think people who come into this field from like a, more a nine to five, it is a very difficult adjustment. I've seen people try and do it and have had to leave. Like they just, yeah. it's just not the right scenario for them. There's not always like laid out policies of this, this, and this, like you might get in other positions. Um, but there are things I think, like for me, I don't know about you, but one of the things I used to do, my kids are a little bit older now. They're, they're seven and 10. So that helps. But when they were really little, I would like work all day, even stay a little bit later, maybe come home, have dinner, play with them. And then when they went back to sleep, I worked again. And that's not like amazing, but it's just the nature of the position in some ways. I mean, maybe there's, ways over time or maybe after COVID, like you said, where we'll see more understanding about some of those issues, but I'd be curious to see what you yeah. would say. No, it, it's a, it's a very good observation. I think part of the reason why many people go directly from politics into consulting is because they they are similar lifestyles in the sense that you have very early days, usually very late evenings, you know, pre COVID times, there'd probably be a number of events that you have to go to, to, hobnob and shake hands and do whatever it is that you need to do. Um, You know, I began my career doing this as a, as a young single person. Um, So I was cool to do 10 hour days, 12 hour days, sometimes longer work the weekends because my, my life was my job. And now uh, things are, are very different. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the the environment is, is different. So I think there's a few a few ways that we see that change happen. Frankly, a lot of it is uh, having fellow women and parents um, making leadership decisions. Yeah. Um, and really, from the top down, creating an environment that is is good and supportive for families. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I had a great childcare arrangement and a good partner. Um, that is not the case for, for everybody in this industry. Um, you know, people are, are again, dealing with a lot as a, as a business owner, I want to make sure that the team is, is feeling supported and whatever they need to do at home, because if, if they're not 
if they're not getting that, um, they're, they're not going to come to the office ready to, ready to work and give it their all. So I would much rather um, have a flexible work arrangement in place for people that needed it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they could be at work 100% when they are at work, yeah. then try and have a, a foot in each pond, right? Yeah. So part of it is just getting people that, that have other commitments beyond work at leadership uh, and decision-making positions, because there will be a bit more of that understanding that follows from that. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting what you said, and I can identify with that in terms of the relationship piece, because, you know, some people might be like, oh, like, that's hard for your spouse or whatever, but he, the whole time we've ever been together, I've been a lobbyist and never worked a nine to five job. And there's times he works extra hours too. So we kind of trade a little bit, right? Like, um, and, and the other thing that I had done, you know, and sometimes I reflect on it and I'm not sure what I think about it, but when my kids were younger, when we would do those networking nights, right. Where you would have to go to events, people would say to me, like, what do you do for yourself? you know, like, do you take a class or do you, you know, people will talk about wellness. And I said, well, what I do is I work. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason is because I'm only willing to spend so much time away from my kids outside of work hours. And so the sacrifice that I will make because I love this job is that I will take that time that, you know, maybe I'm joining a book club or like going for coffee yeah. with women or going to an exercise class and I'm working that night. And yep. that kind of sucks. But if you, if you love the job, it, it's, it is at least right now, that's how it is. Yeah. Makes it a lot easier. And it's going to be different for different people. And I think that again, having an understanding that, you know, that, cause that, that sounds a lot like me, right. You know, I, I, and I love getting out for a run or we, we bought an exercise bike and I like, I'm, I'm really enjoying that, you know, especially not when I'm 30, you know, 32 weeks pregnant, but before that, yes. I was really enjoying it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you need to try and find that outlet um, and find the time for yourself. It's really easy to get sucked into, especially if you've kind of got the politics bug to get sucked into being on Twitter six, seven hours a day, like looking yeah. for a fight and, um, you know, going going down a rabbit hole with news like it can take up a lot of your your day and your your yeah. mental space yeah so trying to find something that's not that is really important for me it yeah. was it was exercise and and running when I was younger yeah. now it's taking care of of family and and spending time with them and who knows what it'll be you know five six years from now right but I think that is a really important point Stephanie is like trying to have a little bit of that mental separation because mm-hmm. it can be such a consuming type of job. Yeah. And I think where it becomes so consuming too, is that in order to be successful, like your clients it, or, you know, even if you're in a house, expect you not to miss anything. Right. So if something's being talking about on Twitter or something is being announced. Like if you're not on your phone or at your computer to see that, like it's seen as a mistake or failure. And yeah. so, um, you know, setting up systems that help you not miss those things, uh, accepting that sometimes you are going to fail and you're just going to own it or, or be like, it happened. Like what, yep. what, <laughs> what is, do you want me is, to do? It totally. And yeah, you're only as good as your, your last win. Right. And yeah. you know, my goodness, if you miss something that's said in the house of commons uh, about a particular client issue, you might have uh, held a pay for it later, but I mean, good, good clients understand that not even consultants catch it all. So yes. managing expectations 
matters, but also things are getting a bit easier with technology, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Setting up Twitter notifications for the House of Commons and the Senate has been a godsend. I I check it right away so that I know what's happening. I I don't have the time to sit and watch question period daily, but we've got a great system that sends me a note as soon as I, uh, as soon as a client issue is mentioned and I can then pass it on to a client. So um, use technology to your advantage because one person cannot, uh, cannot do it all. No, no, that's for, for sure. Um, it makes me think about when we're talking about work-life balance. I remember one time working on events with the prime minister's office and saying to my spouse, like the kids are napping and going downstairs to the basement. I am taking a call with the prime minister's office. It was a Saturday. Do not let the kids come downstairs. <laughs> and this is like pre-COVID. This is a big no-no, right? And um, anyways, I'm on the phone dealing with this, office getting things figured out yeah and this child comes rocking down the stairs anyways I get off the phone and I am fuming and I go to the main level of our house and my husband is sleeping on the couch oh I was just like this is kind of typical but like also yeah. in this moment like <laughs> the one moment I needed I was it. so mad this is like oh, yeah. you know when you're like this is the one time the one yes. time yeah um yeah. yeah anyways we're quickly uh running out of time here um is there anything else you would want to add in terms of the working in the male dominated industry piece is there anything uh, I think it's important to, to lead by example, and our, our firm is not perfect. Um, I'm always trying to uh, encourage young women, um, women of any age, to, to get into this. Um, and I, I'd like to see it happen on a more regular basis. The other thing I would say, too, is that there is um, something that I've observed is that there is a bit of a demographic uh, difference between like the roles that women ought like quote unquote ought to occupy in Mm. political offices or in the consulting world. Um, My, my role tends to be quite public facing and I I do some media and whatnot. And uh, so I'm, I'm out there a lot. I think experience behind the scenes is just as valuable. And um, in the past, I've heard women of uh, an older generation talk about how important it is to have women at the front of the room and, and be represented and I don't want to discount that, but I also want to say, don't be dismissive of the women that are working behind the scenes because mm-hmm. it's just a different type of work. And um, you need all kinds, right? To make the shift. You need all kinds. Um, yeah. And so the more that I, I, I'd like to see just more women, if they're at the front of the stage or the back of the stage, uh, just working, working in this space. Um, and particularly something I'd really like to see evolve. And again, I, I do think it is getting better, but uh, more women in, in policy roles. Um, yes. A lot of times women end up doing comms. Uh, they mm-hmm. end up doing operations and admin. It's all very, imp- it's important work that needs to happen. Um, but actual policy making still very much a, a dude, a dude level position. So I, I would like to see that start to change a little bit more. And I think that, um, you know, decision think, making public policy would be better for it. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I wanted to ask you in our roles, we get to do some exciting things, talk to some exciting people, go to some exciting events. Is there like maybe one or two experiences that you can share. I know we also always have to be very careful who we're talking about publicly, which is also hard about this job and maybe why we don't talk about it too much. But um, yeah, 
some standout moments for you? Um, yeah, well, I, I, I'll tell you that one of the things I'm most proud of, and it's going back quite a bit now, but um, uh, we worked really closely with the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs um, to, to establish the Volunteer Firefighter Tax Credit. Mm-hmm. And that was something they had been working on for a very long time. Uh, that was not moving. Um, and I was quite new at SUMA at that point, um, but we had been really working to communicate to government, it was minority government at that point, um, the disparity between how volunteer firefighters were treated in Canada. Um, in Quebec, even your volunteer firefighters are paid. In Newfoundland, you get a turkey at Christmas time kind of thing <laughs> as, a, as a thank you. So um, we really worked hard to try and make the case that the level, the playing field need, needed to be level and there needed to be some consistency. Part of that was also doing a fair bit of research into how um, much money it would cost to have no volunteer firefighters, right? Yep. Uh, part of that was looking at public opinion, which was obviously quite supportive of some type of uh, compensation uh, or a reward for, for volunteer firefighters. So um, it was really neat to work on that. We got to, you know, uh, do the event with the, the finance minister at the time, uh, Jim Flaherty, and put on the fire hats and, and stuff like that. And that was, that was a client win that we were uh, really, really proud to, to be a part of. Um, I, I've gotten to uh, meet a lot of really interesting people, um, got to, you know, work with premiers, work with uh, prime ministers on, on events, um, you know, I'm, I'm also involved with the uh, Canada Strong and Free Network, which is actually formerly the, the Manning Center, um, and was in the process of putting together a leadership debate, uh, you know, for the conservative leadership contest, uh, contest that just passed, arranging and, and actually hosting one-to-one interviews with Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole and, and Leslie Lewis and Derek Sloan. Like, it, it's been cool to have the ability to interface with real decision makers and, and people mm-hmm. within the, the conservative movement um, and learn from those experiences. So it's a bit nerdy, um, yeah. <laughs> of course, because politicians are political nerd celebrities. Yes, <laughs> but, yeah, um, that's it's true. Been, it's been uh, really neat to, to work on, on a thing uh, in a space where I get to have that kind of access and exposure to that many uh, very interesting people. Thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you our final questions. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we get into them? I don't think no? so. No. Okay. What is the best rule you ever broke? Uh, this has taken me a while to learn and I'm still learning it actually, but uh, often young young people and young women in particular are encouraged to jump at every opportunity, mm. say yes to everything. Um, you know, get a foot in the door everywhere. I think that I was definitely that person and I followed that rule for a long time. Uh, and it was, it didn't serve me well and it didn't serve the, the things that I was doing very well either. So I'd say in terms of rule to break, the, the one that I would say is jumping at every opportunity. It's okay to say no to things. Um, yeah. It's okay to recognize you've got a lot on your plate um, and, and turn things down or come back to them later and know mm-hmm. what you can and can't handle because it's not great to be only half in on, on something that you care about. So I think that for me is, is a big one. Yeah. I think that's a really important message because at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you or you and your family, right? Regardless of where you are in life. And that 
may mean that you think that you're supposed to be the VP or be the president and do all the things, but you might be in a point in your life where that's really not what you need or what's healthy for you. And so I think that's an important message for wherever people are in their lives. Okay. What is the most valuable habit that was hardest to create? (laughs) Uh, I am a big believer on the daily to-do list. Me too. So uh, I set one every day. Um, I use Microsoft tasks every day. Uh, I also am one of the like psychopaths that empties my inbox every night. Wow. Unless I, so I have a clear inbox um, unless there's something that needs to be like dealt with the following day, man, it's hard to get to that point. Like really, Mm -hmm. really tough. But for me, coming to like three or four (laughs) messages in the morning, as opposed to 300 or 400 is uh, for me, that's a, that's a habit that it was really good to get into. Mm -hmm. That's one thing you made me remember, like how many emails we often get in our work too, um, to each their own. But sometimes my husband will be like, Oh, I got X many emails today. I'm like, that is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I have 15 Uh, to 20 emails come in and it's like, Oh, good. Like that sounds you're like in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I have name? to say oh, sorry, like ahead, mes- messaging apps have been very good for that. Like we've yes. really tried to cut down in COVID on email unless it's like yeah. an action that needs to be taken. Slack has been great and I, that's going to stick around for sure. Yeah. Technology for sure. In terms of efficiency. Can you name another woman that inspires you? I am a big fan of Lisa Raitt. Um, the mm-hmm. former conservative cabinet minister and, and politician um, for, for a few reasons. Uh, but, but the thing that I really am inspired by is, uh, is Lisa's resiliency and her, her confidence and her authenticity. Politics mm-hmm. has a very unique way of um, sucking the life and the personality out of people. And mm-hmm. she never fell into that trap. Um, mm-hmm. She was from, from the East Coast, like a very genuine and authentic uh, and nice person. And I would hope that, um, you know, I, I mean, it's been 12, 15 years. I'm not jaded yet, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I would, I would love to be just as authentic and well-regarded um, at, you know, down the road in my career as, as she is and, and many people. Yeah. Are her. I think she's one of those people that um, post politics, like you can tell that she's still highly regarded from people on both sides of the political spectrum, yeah. um, which is, you know, maybe not as rare in Canada, but can be rare at times. And so it's really nice to see that. And we're can getting, tell- I was just going to say, we're getting more and more partisan and polarized. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you. Um, it, it's not just nice to be appreciated by, by both sides and, and recognized for being, you know, understanding or diplomatic. It is a rarity. Um, and then she's yeah. threaded that needle very well. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about a book that made you wiser? Yeah. So full disclosure, I'm not a big reader. That's okay. <laughs> I'm more of a, I'm more of a podcast fan. Um, but a book that I really enjoyed and, and would encourage folks to pick up, it's, uh, it's actually a collection of uh, short essays. It's called Women on Women, and it's, uh, it was produced by Vanity Fair. Um, and it's uh, female reporters, um, or in some cases not reporters, but actually um, you know, other professions talking about or interviewing women um, and then how they got to where they are. 
Uh, and I, I thought it was really great. And there's like, a, it spans, spans the gambit between, you know, like Tina Fey is there and then you've got people that have worked in, in war zones, right? So oh, it's interesting. Really quite, a, quite a different, um, different experiences represented, but I, I think it's really cool to see how women talk about the experiences of other women. Cause I do think that it lends a bit of a different lens than if you were interviewed by, by a guy. Mm, so interesting. Okay. What is one of your, your podcast recommendations? Give me one. Right now I'm, I really enjoy, um, Oh my gosh, the name is escape. Oh, uh, you're wrong about, sorry. I, I just finished that one. Um, so it's, they look at, uh, it's two journalists and they look at, um, relatively contemporary current affairs issues, but from a perspective of like trying to myth bust almost. Mm, Um, And they have, I I mean, again, as I said, I'm not a big reader. I definitely enjoy my pop culture um, escapism. Me too. The one that I just got through was was about Princess Diana. Um, Oh, interesting. Five part series. And it just talked about uh, the complicated nature of, how she got to where she was and her and Charles relationship and the fallout. And you, you leave that conversation, not necessarily sympathetic to her, um, but with a more complete understanding of like, of who she was um, and, right. and how things went down. And I, I do like it. I, I do enjoy that podcast quite a bit. Interesting. Well, thank you. It's a, uh, yeah, people will obviously find that helpful too. So thanks for sharing. Thank you so much for your time today. Very happy to be doing this. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Women Don't Do That. I hope you feel inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Stay connected on Twitter and Instagram at Women Don't Do That. I would love to have you join the conversation, so make sure you join our next Instagram Live. Find all our podcast and blog content at womendontdothat.com. Join me next time. 